Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Darsh Shah. And I'm Dr. Ultimash Raja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined, a podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. Before we get into this week's show, a quick word from our sponsor. Contract Diagnostics is a firm 100% dedicated to physician contract reviews. They provide a service that all physician families will need at least one time in their careers, most likely a few additional times as well. I love this company as they've helped over 10,000 physicians understand not only what they are signing, but what risks they are taking for their family. All contracts are reviewed by an in-house attorney and presented in a simplified way back to you. Using custom documentation, compensation data, and times outside normal business hours, they make it easy for you. Don't need a contract reviewed. They can even just consult you on the fairness of your current compensation structure or your contract renewal. All packages are flat priced, so you know what you will pay up front. Residents and fellows can even make interest-free payments over time. So look them up at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call 888-574-5526 or info at contractdiagnostics.com. Our guest today is Dr. Dan Pope. Dan is a physical therapist and performance coach at Champion Physical Therapy outside of Boston, Massachusetts. He works with everyday athletes, active individuals, and those competing at the elite level. As an orthopedic clinical specialist and certified strength and conditioning coach and a CrossFit level one coach, his expertise lie in helping people train through injury, around injury, as well as coming back stronger after an injury. On a personal level, Dan was a division one collegiate pole vaulter at my alma mater. He was a state and national level champion in strongman competition and has been competing in the sport of fitness over the past decade. So he's one of those folks who has definitely walked the walk. But most importantly, he is a genuinely awesome dude and someone who I've looked up to for the past few years. In this episode, we talk about building relationships among healthcare providers across the spectrum of rehab, optimizing training during and after injury, augmenting the healing process, and my personal favorite, his famous salmon shakes that turned him into a national champion. That's right. Just hearing about it will give you some serious gains. I absolutely loved picking his brain and unfortunately we were limited on time but there is so much more we wanted to talk about. So I'm going to bug him to come back because we couldn't get enough. And I'm sure after listening to this episode, you're going to agree that we need more of Dan Pope on this show. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Dan Pope. All right. What's going on, everyone? Today, we have a special guest, Dan Pope. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing phenomenally well. Really, really good. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I've been following you for a little bit. I know Altamash has been now for about three to four years. Um, We've been loving your content, but to the people out there listening to us that don't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who is Dan Pope? Oh boy. Yeah. Good question. Um, So I'm a a physical therapist and uh, I have a big background as a strength conditioning professional, um, personal trainer, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I always say I'm a meathead. I just really, really like exercise and uh, always have. And that's what's kind of pushed me into this path today. So I work full time for the most part as a physical therapist. But to be honest, it's a cash based um, practice. Uh, We're out of network, and I can kind of do whatever the heck I want to do. So, you know, I've had some patients today where I was looking at their Olympic weightlifting technique and writing a training program for them, you know, I had some other people that were, you know, a couple weeks post-op 
rotator cuff and I'm rehabbing the rotator cuff. And then, uh, you know, eventually we'll get them to a fitness program at some point. So I try to bridge the gap as much as possible. And, uh, I really, really love educating people. Um, mostly other physical therapists, other coaches about how to do the same. How do they get their patients or clients out of pain, uh, into fitness and how do they keep them kind of pain free for the long haul and keep them exercising, keep them moving, I guess. Yeah. Keep them away from you guys. Just kidding. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's, that's our hope. Uh, I mean, we talk about, Tarsh and I talk about preventative medicine all the time. And ultimately I tell people, I'm like, listen, you know, if, yeah, it, we're tongue in cheek when we say, yeah, we'd be out of a job. But I mean, it's, you know, the fact of the matter is people do stupid things. I do stupid things all the time. You're, there's going to be, there's going to be a need. There, there's lots of other things that we do, which kind of leads me to the next question is why physical therapy? Um, you know, I know, I know you mentioned your meathead. I've seen some of your strongman videos. They're, they're pretty epic. Uh, but why physical therapy? Why not just continue to go down the performance coaching pathway? Yeah, that's a great question, you know, and, uh, I do ask myself from time to time if that was really the right path, you know. Um, so when I finished up at Rutgers University, which I guess we both went to, which is awesome. Yeah. Go Rutgers. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in exercise and the logical first choice was personal training. I'd already worked as a personal trainer for years in undergrad and I started doing that full time afterwards. And uh, I got to be honest, it, it's awesome. I really loved it. And one of the things I was finding was that everyone kind of had some sort of injury. You know, I was working with a bit of an older population at the time. I was also working with a bunch of athletes um, and people get hurt from time to time. And a couple of things I, I noticed um, for one, I really wanted to be the person that was able to help these folks. I just didn't like that. I had to send everyone away. And two, I was sending them to local physical therapists that were telling them, Hey, of course you got hurt. You shouldn't have been deadlifting or like, Oh, kettlebell swing. That's why your back hurts, you know, or you hurt your shoulder because you pressed overhead, you know? And uh, that was tough because oftentimes, you know, these these uh, people wouldn't even return back to me. They're like, you're the one that got me hurt in the first place. Um, and I was like, you know what, That's that doesn't seem very true to me, you know. And what I asked myself at the time was, do I need to be a physical therapist to be very good at helping other people with their injuries? And I know there's a lot of folks out there that are trainers, you know, uh, massage therapists too, maybe. Maybe there's a blend of the two because those guys kind of do walk the line of rehab slash, you know, performance. You know, would that would that be the best route for me? Because I really cared about injury. I want to learn more about it. Um, but in the back of my, you know, head, I kept on asking myself, like, what is really the best way to learn how to help people in pain? Who are the folks out there that do this every single day of their life? What is the education they go through in order to be at that level? And that's really physical therapists, chiropractors, and you know, physicians if they're doing rehab every single day. So I just felt that if I wanted to be as good as I possibly could be, you know, which is important to me and important for the people I was working with, I kind of had to go down this pathway of becoming a physical therapist. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot in physical therapy that's not related to what I do on a regular basis. Uh, but I do think that going the route of a physical therapist is probably uh, the most powerful thing I could have done for my own learning and also for helping other people that I work with regularly. So, Dude, that's pretty awesome. Um, were there any specific like injuries? Did you ever go through some devastating injury? We've had some some guests on here. I remember we recently talked to David uh, David Ote from you know, PPSC. I know you, you kind of follow John Russell's work. And he talked about this significant back injury he had when he was 17 years old being a strong man competitor and I guess you probably competed at a higher level. So did you ever go through personal struggles where you were like, okay, um, I've had to rehab myself and that's why I can, I'm very close to this and, and I can understand a little bit more, maybe empathize with my patients a little bit. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, I'm not the the stereotypical like tore my ACL and then had an awesome experience with a physical therapist and then decided like this was the career that I wanted. Um, to be honest, I had hurt myself a bunch of times. Still do. You know, it's kind of crazy the amount of injuries I've gotten. And it, it, that sounds terrible because it sounds like I'm just an idiot and I hurt myself all the time. And in some ways, maybe that's true. And every time I get hurt, I'm like, this is a great opportunity to, to know what other people kind of experience and also, you know, work about getting myself into a better place so I can help my patients a little bit better. Um, but I had gotten a few injuries. Um, I competed at Rutgers. I was a, a track and field guy. I was a pole vaulter. And uh, I hurt my shoulder pretty badly at one point. And it was a combination of pole vaulting and probably doing a little too much stuff in the gym. And I ended up going to a physical therapist to try to help me out. And to be honest, I didn't have a very good experience. And I can't put that on the physical therapist. A lot of it was me being young, um, kind of dumb, big ego. Physical therapy was expensive at the time. When I went there, they just kind of ultrasound my shoulder and had me do exercises that were probably like 10 times easier than I've already been doing, you know. And I wasn't really willing to kind of back off and kind of push forward. But I think the big thing was that um, the physical therapist there and, and I, we, we just didn't jive. He didn't really build a rapport with me. I didn't feel like he understood my problem and I just didn't really trust him, I guess. Um, and a lot of that was my fault, to be honest with you. Um, so I didn't have a great taste of physical therapy in my mouth. And then you combine that with having tried to take my clients when I was working full time as a strength conditioning coach and sending them to another physical therapist. And that therapist also telling me, you know, the same thing that the physical therapist told me back when I was 17 that I disagreed with, you know, I, I just, I didn't really like the idea of physical therapy in general. Um, but what's funny is that when I graduated and started doing personal training full time, what I found is that the type of professional you are is going to be based around how much you enjoy it and your passion for it. And there's going to be kind of poor, I'm going to use the word poor, I guess, personal trainers. There's also going to be poor physical therapists. There's going to be poor physicians, poor firefighters, poor plumbers, all that. So what I found is that there are really, really good trainers out there. And I started trying to network with them. There's also really, really good physical therapists. And I started to network with those folks as well. And what I started to understand is like, wow, physical therapy is actually an awesome profession, but there's a huge difference between what I've experienced initially and then what can be, I guess. So that really changed my thought process. And then uh, that kind of drove me a little bit more towards the physical therapy route. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think what you're talking about, I mean, we know that all, again, in any profession, you know, it, there's a spectrum, right? I mean, all physicians are not created equal, um, even just within physiatrists, sports medicine, cardiologist, whatever, it, it, it kind of spreads across all those things. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, I, I share very much the same experience that I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've never had a fracture, never had a torn ACL, like some massive acute trauma, despite all the sports I've played, but it's been so many chronic little overuse injuries here and there, back, tendinosis, that kind of thing that have just impaired what I love to do, which is train. In fact, both of us have a mutual friend, Dibesh, who, who works in the same facility as you. And, you know, he's been my coach for the last two months, uh, two years, excuse me. And uh, I'm always texting. I'm like, man, this one doesn't feel good or this was hurting or this causes this. How can we modify this? And I'm sure he's probably telling you or thinking, man, this guy's just annoying. And anything I, I program, he doesn't tend to love. Uh, no, nah, he, he's a good dude. But, um, but, but that's kind of been the case for me. So, you know, that was my inspiration to pursue this, understand it a little bit more, and then also be able to to relate to our patients. And what I will say that I think that more so, and, and I'm curious to, 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 to hear your thoughts on this is what we probably tend to see more so in musculoskeletal medicine, you know, both of our professions, physical medicine, and rehab 
those chronic overuse injuries, right? When we talk about rotator cuff tendinopathy and dysfunction, whatever you want to call it, impingement syndrome, I know there's a debate on that. Um, you know, all these things that are probably these aberrant movement patterns that are kind of below the symptomatic threshold. Then, you know, when somebody does a little bit too much, they tend to flare up. You guys recently talked about tennis elbow. That's a classic one as well. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think more people have that acute trauma, like slipping on ice, having a fracture, or is it more the chronic overuse stuff that that's what they go to therapy for? Yeah, I guess it really depends on what you specialize in. Um, a champion where we do a lot of sports medicine and we see a, a combination of all of these things, right? You see a lot of traumatic ACLs, meniscus pathology, that type of thing. Um, but we also see a lot of overuse. And to be honest, for me, in, in my population, I see a lot of fitness um, type people, a lot of Olympic weightlifters, powerlifters, and you certainly do see traumatic injuries from time to time. But I think uh, my bread and butter is really just overuse injury. Um, these folks tend to have more overuse stuff going on. Um, but you do definitely see traumatic injuries from time to time. It's just much less frequently, at least where the people that I see, uh, not necessarily just champion because champion sees a lot of athletes that have traumatic issues as well. So, yeah. It's good stuff, man. I mean, yeah, even me, I've, I've had back issues my whole life and you know, you have this concept of fitness pain-free, which sounds awesome. Um, and I think a lot of people could benefit from that. Right. So can you just explain what is fitness pain-free to you? How, how did, how did it come about? What's your uh, purpose and where do you see it going? It's a farce, man. It's impossible if you can't attain it. So, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, looking back on the name fitness pain-free, I think it'd be a little more accurate if I was like, well, fitness with a little bit of pain, you know, <laughs> okay. You know, cause this idea of like never having pain ever is just, it's just not fair, you know? No pain, um, no gain, man. What's that? I said no pain, <laughs> no gain, man. No pain, no gain. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess <laughs> no, we're, kidding. Know, the name, we're, we're kidding. That's not, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, the name fitness pain free was kind of trying to blend what I was trying to do and kind of the expertise that I was chasing kind of at the time. So I love, I love fitness and I was doing physical therapy and I wanted to try to get um, kind of pain-free fitness. How can we be a little bit better about exercising to keep us a bit safer over the course of time? Um, and how can we kind of get our painful folks back to fitness, I guess? So that was kind of the name, you know, at the time. I wanted to be kind of obvious when people look at fitnesspainfree.com, they're like, oh, okay, this kind of makes sense, you know? Um, in terms of like the website and kind of my business, is that where you're kind of asking what was the the reason why I did that. And yeah, kind of just like how it came about. Why, why, why pain more than anything, right? I guess as a physical therapist, there's so many different things you can kind of focus on, but what drew you to, you know, getting people back into the gym and making them realize that, Hey, we can do this sure with a little bit of pain, but way better than what it can be. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I fitness is something I've always really loved. Um, and as a trainer, I just found so many folks that were in pain and I found that there is a tremendous need um, to help these folks at the time. And to be honest, I think we've gotten way better. There's so many resources out there right now um, for folks that like fitness and have pain right now. Besides fitness pain free, obviously, that's going to be the first one's list. Um, but at the time, you know, and this is like, I guess, like 10, 12 years ago, um, there wasn't a lot of information out there for folks that had some sort of injury and wanted to get back to kind of higher level performance specifically in the gym, you know, um, there wasn't much information about there about like, is deadlifting bad for my back? You know, is bench press bad for my back? Should I press overhead or is that going to cause injuries? You know, what's the deal with that? Um, how do I make my fitness activities safer? You know, what actually is causing injuries? 
Uh, there wasn't much of that. So a lot of that was me trying to figure out um, what is going on. And the other part was I loved sharing, you know, the information that I was learning. I really wanted to spread that, you know, to other folks out there, kind of get these conversations going, build these networks and, you know, ultimately help the clients that I was working with, you know? Yeah. Um, at the time, I really looked up to folks that were doing that. I remember not even just physical therapy related because, you know, Mike Reinald was probably one of the few people doing it back in the day. Uh, but guys like uh, John Berardi, I used to read a ton of his information. Um, I used to love testosterone.net, T Nation, T Mag, whatever you want to call it. It's had so many iterations over the course of time. And I looked up to the folks that were kind of these thought leaders that were kind of writing and talking about what they're thinking about from an injury perspective, prevention, kind of getting this, you know, they were starting these trends. People were talking about it, trying, experimenting on their own with their clients and patients. And then, you know, it was it was just a really kind of fun and interesting dynamic. And I just want to be part of it, you know? So that's why I started kind of writing and, and doing fitness pain-free in the first place. Yeah. Dan, that's awesome. I mean, I, we can certainly attest to that. We've learned a lot from just following you on social. And also you're, you're I think that actually you can talk about your sale. Cause I know today's the last day uh, towards the end. That's not good marketing. Then you can't tell people that it's a sale all the time. Yeah, don't worry we'll about work on it. Myself. We'll work on it. It's now or never, people. Um, yeah. No, so uh, you, we'll talk about. I mean, obviously, we want to get into you know training around injury, you know, and, and bouncing back and becoming more resilient. But you touched on this concept of bridging the gap, right, between rehab and performance, right? That's kind of I don't know if that's a tagline for for uh, Mike what he says, um, at least for some of his courses. But what about you know bridging the gap between our our side for the physician and the therapist, right? Because there's a spectrum, right? You got the physician, we refer to therapy, then from there, you guys guys, this amazing system at champion where it'll go right to, you know, uh, uh, the performance side of it. Because we re again, David came here last time, he talked about something that I thought was really cool that you know, when he gets somebody maybe post op for after hip replacement, maybe nine months down the road, or something like that, he will actually call the physician and say, what was the approach? Was it a posterior approach, anterior approach, you know, what might be some contraindications, stuff like that, which was a crazy concept, to me, because I just never thought about it. You know, he was basically, we do this in medicine all the time. You know this because your wife's a physician. We give sign up to each other all day, every day, right? That's what we do. And that's essentially what that's happening to me. So um, talk a little bit about this. I know you guys have touched on this podcast about that communication between physician to therapist to coach. You know, how how can we build? How can we make sure that um, these communications are, are, are going really well? Because ultimately, it's, it's going to be for the benefit of the patient. Yeah, for sure. I think you kind of you know already stated it. I think that communication is key. Um, one of the things that's very challenging for, for you guys, you know, and I think physicians in general is that there's a lot of people that are extremely overburdened, you know, and as a kind of cash-based physical therapist, I give everyone my cell phone, you know, which is kind of crazy for a lot of medical providers. And I did that a little bit when I was working in network um, for basically an insurance-based physical therapy practice. And that was a little crazy too, because it gets to be ridiculous. You know, you don't have a life. There's so much going on. They're already crushing you with a ton of different patients. So, you know, you don't always have a, the time or B like the emotional energy at the end of the day to, to actually try to do a better job. Right. But, uh, the doctors I work with, one of the reasons I really love them is because they are great about communicating and I do the same thing. So, if someone is coming from a surgeon, um, which I like and trust, which is pretty like most of the patients I see are from surgeons I like and trust at this point, because we've built that network over the course of time. 
um, I'll ask them, you know, I have a rotator cuff repair. It's like, Hey, how was that tissue quality? Like, what do you think? Can I start pushing at this point? Or you want to wait a little bit longer, you know, like were there a couple tendons involved? What was going on there? How did, how did the surgery go? And they're great. And they get back to me and say, no, no problem. This is it. We just did this standard approach, whatever. Or if there's something a little bit funky going on, they'll say, yeah, just be a little cautious with this. And I'm not really sure what's happening there. Give me some feedback. If you think we should change something in terms of the rehab, then, then go for it. I trust you. Um, so I, there's a lot of communication I think is really important to, to, to have, you know, understanding the surgery, uh, understanding the approach, obviously, if it's like a hip replacement. Um, so I think the communication really has to be there. Uh, unfortunately, that's tough. You know, I don't think our our system as it is, our healthcare system is set up for success um, to be able to communicate with a physical therapist for every single patient that you have or vice versa. You know, you're already slammed with your evaluations are coming in. You don't have enough time to even communicate with the patient, let alone that patient's physician, let alone that patient's kind of coach or personal trainer, whatever it is. So it's, it's certainly a challenge and it, it goes the other direction too. So if, when I am um, getting someone from a personal trainer or coach, which we do a ton as well, as you know, with guys like Duesh and also uh, individuals outside of Champion. Duesh is one of the strength coaches at Champion Physical Therapy where I work. Um, I communicate some with those guys and they help me with my rehab. I have a patient right now that had a high tibial osteotomy. Um, for the listeners who don't know what that is, it's, it's basically when someone has arthritis in one side of the knee joint, they'll either take a chunk out of the tibia or they'll open up the tibia to correct the angle and to allow the other side of the joint to take more stress. So the one that has a lot of wear is not being compressed on as much. And it's a pretty in-depth surgery and there's a lot of pain afterwards and it's just a long rehab. And I have a really good relationship with one of the local um, trainers, coaches, and we work together, you know, and basically I do the more painful activities where you have to be cautious in terms of pushing and he handles some of the activities that are less risky, you know, and he's not doing physical therapy He's just doing strength conditioning with this individual when it's safe to do so. And I'll do the stuff that's a little bit more risky where I'm supposed to do that as the physical therapist. So we have a lot of direct communication. Uh, and I do that every single day with, with my patients. So it's, I think you already said it, that communication is absolutely key. Um, you just have to kind of set up a system that works well for you, you know? I love that. Yeah, I think it's all about the system. And like you said earlier, you're a teacher. And I think having that ability to teach comes with great, you know, ability to communicate with patients and ensure that they're getting the proper information as well as your colleagues and things. Um, but Dan, so let's get into um, fitness and pain. Um, so, you know, as a physician, I think, you know, I, I want to say back in the day, but even maybe five, 10 years ago, oftentimes when people would get injured, we would say, oh, you need a bed rest, right? Don't go back to your normal activity levels. And now we're starting to see that change a little bit. And we know that, hey, movements actually, you know, gradual movements, it's, it's, it's starting to help this pain. Can you kind of just talk about, you know, training while, in, while you're injured? What are some of the general principles um, that people should really know about at a high level? I can't let my secrets go, man. This isn't good. They understand everything we're doing. I'm just kidding. You know, um, I, uh, I think that's, it's, it's a beautiful thing because it's funny because exercise can cause an injury, but it's also the same exact thing that's going to help you heal. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to the dose. And one of the things I tell my patients is that let's say you have a headache, right? And if you take two aspirin or two ibuprofen, your headache goes away, right? If you take the whole bottle, you die, Right. I can't really blame the aspirin. It was the dosage that caused the problem. And the same thing goes with exercise. So if you do a little bit of exercise, it's probably going to make you feel better and you'll get better over the course of time. And you kind of ramp up over the course of time as needed. Um, if you do too much, you know, it's like taking the whole bottle of aspirin. It may make you worse. 
So I almost never take exercise away from folks unless they have something that's like a little bit more sinister, like a fracture where we're like, okay, yeah, we need to take weight off of this because we know this thing isn't going to heal if we exercise. So a big part of my evaluation process is figuring out, okay, what are we dealing with? Is this something that we can load? And it's like 99% of the time it is. And then we just try to come up with a plan that allows people to continue working towards their fitness goals, right? And to be honest with you, I try to minimize changes in their exercise program as long as that program is well thought through, right? And it's going to be something that the coach who wrote the program was thinking about the athlete in terms of how much volume they can tolerate, their prior injuries, their goals, the amount of recovery they have. Because if I start making major changes to the training program, I'm kind of derailing their path to success, right? So what I do is I need to take away some of the exercise if that's what's continuing the pain problem, right? Um, and I don't want to take anything away if we're not continuing the pain problem. So this happens all the time. And I'm sure you guys run into it. Like someone gets hurt, right? And this happened. I was a coach. Last personal training job I had was as a CrossFit coach. I did that for around six years. And it was funny because people knew I was a physical therapist. And after every single night coaching, I'd have like 10 people come up to me like, oh, damn, what's going on? My elbows bother me or like, damn, my back's bother me. And, you know, my, my, my advice for every single person was, okay, let's back off a little bit of the things that bother you. And as you start feeling better over the course of time, let's slowly ramp back into it. And I'd say like that was helpful for 90 to 95% of every single person that I saw. And I also told them like, hey, if it's not getting better, then yeah, come see me. And then usually what happens at that point is I do the same exact thing. I start to back off. I just give them more guidance, better guidance on how to back off the things that are really giving them some trouble and ramp up, you know? And in terms of, go ahead, Jim. No, no, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of a general rehabilitation, I guess, I like to use the term unload initially when someone has an injury, but I actually don't think that's a, a great term to describe what I'm doing because oftentimes I'm actually adding more exercise to that individual, but I'm looking at the movements at that time <clears throat> that might be too stressful for them and I'm modifying them. And it might just be decreasing the load. Maybe I'm changing the movement a little bit. Maybe I'm going from a back squat to a front squat to a goblet squat if someone has low back pain. And I'm adding more stress to the spine in terms of additional core strengthening or whatever it may be. Um, and if I think that there is a problem with their technique that's driving long-term problems, I may modify that, you know. But in general, I really don't want to take away exercise because that's something that's going to help them heal. It's also something they love and there's a ton of positive benefits right? So I'm going to keep doing that, make it as minimal changes I need and add some additional exercises to kind of push them uh, along faster, you know? Gotcha. So when you're, when you're looking at programming and changing up the program, are you really looking at it from a mechanic standpoint or how do you know when you need to change, whether it's the duration of the entire workout to the, whether it's decreasing the weight or decreasing the reps or increasing the reps, how do you kind of make that? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like art, right? Um, there's lots of different art, very different. That's all beautiful, right? I'm actually not an art fan. I just made that up. Um, but I guess what I'm getting at here is that there's so many different ways to have success. You know, if someone that comes in, that's like a little load intolerant for, let's say squatting, let's say that they can't get above 85% of their max and their back starts to hurt. I can very easily say, okay, well, let's increase the repetitions a little bit. So instead of doing sets of five at 85% of your max, let's do sets of like 10 ish because you can't use as much weight and they may be able to train without much trouble whatsoever, you know? 
Um, the other piece is that let's say someone can't tolerate 85% of the max in the back squat, but maybe they can tolerate um, 85 plus percent of their max with a front squat, right? So we just fix the problem with a different movement or we fix the problem with a different um, rep scheme, you know? Um, there's a lot of ways to do that. And it, it really, I don't know that there's one way that's better than another. I mean, obviously we haven't done any research in this regard, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm going to make the, the modification that's going to impact their fitness, you know, as little as possible. Like I said, I don't want to make enormous changes. Um, and then I'm also going to cater it to that individual. Like part of it is like, what are their beliefs? What are you okay with? Are you okay with dropping the intensity? If they say no, it's like, okay, we'll keep the intensity high, but we'll do a front squat. Um, if they're completely okay with it, then I'll maybe modify that load. You know, if they're, you know, two weeks out from a powerlifting meet, it's going to be very, very different than if they're a, not even a powerlifter or B they're in their off season. I can, I can kind of change things up. So it depends a lot on the individual and the situation. Um, and I think what's important for physical therapists and coaches too, because coaches do this every single day is learn how to dose stress. You know, if you want to dial up the stress on the spine, because we want to get that thing strong and stable, what movements do that? You know, how do I do that? And if someone is too painful because they have low back pain of some sort, uh, some variety, how do we dose down that stress, you know, and how do we bring that back up over the course of time? Um, and if you understand those principles, fits pretty well with general strength conditioning, you know, so it's, yeah, that's kind of the way I go about it anyway. Again, I, I love that. I mean, especially because you're not giving any specific tactics, you're primarily talking about strategy, right? And I think what, what Darsh alluded to earlier with what we used to propose after somebody injured their back was complete bed rest immobility. And now we know that that's actually, if somebody goes to immobility, the, the, the chances are prolonged disability are significantly higher for that type of person. It's interesting, actually, just earlier this morning, I read this article, I pulled it up as kind of basically um, in proximity talking about how aerobic exercise and chronic low back pain can provide a similar relief to low dose morphine, right? I mean, obviously, we understand that pain, um, you know, is complex. The experience of pain is very subjective. Um, but I think generally, what you were talking about is, especially the CrossFit population, right, the sport of fitness, um, you know, these, these folks probably, they, they like training, right. For, for athletes and stuff who enjoy training, um, you know, they associate themselves, you know, there's, there's a whole, um, social psycho component to that. Um, it's a rewarding experience. Maybe the sedentary individual for whom training exercise isn't a part, a staple in their day to day. How do you even take a step back and set the expectations and get them to buy in that, Hey, this is what's necessary. I'll give you a quick example. Um, currently on an EMG rotation, I was doing some EMGs. I had a patient yesterday come in with basically bilateral carpal tunnel um, syndrome symptoms yesterday and hadn't tried any conservative therapy. We know first line is splints and therapy and all that stuff. I asked her, have you done this? This is, no, I, it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. Have you tried it? No, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> You know, again, this goes back to your point of, you know, I had a very limited time to do this procedure. So I didn't have the time to sit there and have the conversation with them why physical therapy is so important. Um, but I regret it now because I think that might have done her more benefit. So, but when those patients do finally come to you, whether it's just, you know, because they're upset the doctor sent them or whatever, um, how do you get them to kind of buy in and, and set the expectations that this is not something that might get better in four weeks or five visits or whatever? I mean, that might be a loaded question, but no, this is an awesome question. Uh, it's actually one of my favorite questions, you know, um, to be honest, and this is not really fair because obviously people are going to be seeing folks off the streets from time to time. 
Um, but we built ourselves up over the course of time as kind of the go-to folks in the area for like CrossFit problems, you know? So uh, the surgeons that I know, the trainers that I know, they all like me, respect me. And then they're having some sort of problem with one of their clients. They say, go see Dan. He's the best for all these reasons, you know? And then you walk the walk and talk the talk. So when someone comes in and they say, you know, I was doing CrossFit, like, oh, well, I, I, I crossed CrossFit for six or seven years, you know, and I work for this company that's really popular in the CrossFit world, you know? So all of a sudden, all these lights are going off, like, oh my gosh, this person, you know, really understands what I'm trying to get back to, you know, like, oh, they, he knows this person, he talks to this person on a regular basis. Oh, that's crazy. And, you know, I always love it when a physician sends someone to me and says, like, I'm the best because it's like setting the, the golf ball up on the tee, you know, it's like, here you go, Dan, right? It's like knocks it out of the park. Um, we know that therapeutic alliance is going to affect your outcomes, right? So if I just build really, really good rapport with someone, I'm probably going to have a better outcome than someone who doesn't. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that someone came from another physical therapist and came to me and I always ask why say, well, what wasn't so good about your prior physical therapist? And they'll tell me and they'll say like, oh yeah, the guy told me to exercise and stop doing this. And in my head, I'm going, I'm going to tell you the same exact thing. You know what I mean? But I know that if I build rapport and I don't just sit there and immediately tell them something that goes against what they want to hear, then over the course of time, they're going to have a pretty good outcome as opposed to me just saying like, no, you need to do this. Right. Um, but I think it, it, this is again, a little bit easier for me. I've set myself up into a, a situation that I think works better. Um, I think being able to have the time to build that rapport is really, really important. You know, I'm a big fan of, uh, motivational interviewing. You guys ever heard of that? Um, so just taking the time to make sure that patient feels very, very heard, right. Um, making sure that you're listening, opening questions, a lot of reflections, making sure that you're meeting their needs, asking a lot of questions about how I can help them as opposed to me just kind of regurgitating, you know, or just saying exactly what I think that they need. And that tends to help. That tends to make a really big difference. Um, I'm also in a, a nice place where I have multiple visits. So I just want to try to establish good rapport and then continue that going down the line, you know? Um, so I know that's hard and it's very challenging, um, but building that therapeutic lines as much as you can early on in the relationship, establishing a really good connection um, and serving that individual, I think goes a long way. I love that. Um, yeah. Talking about listening to the patient, it kind of just reminds us again, we, we tend to, every time we interview an expert on here, there, there's a common theme about stopping. I mean, what's that stat that we always quote it's 18 seconds before a physician starts interrupting a patient. I wonder if, if it's still the same, I suspect it's it's probably at best 20 because we've gotten a little bit better. But, um, you know, this Jyoti Patel, she came on, she talked about just, you know, spending an hour kind of getting, spending so much time on on history, history, history and, and intake and Darsh is big into functional medicine. And, and that's kind of what they go back for as well. So I, I certainly love that. Um, yeah, again, harder to do in a 15, 20 minute visit. Let me ask you this though, specifically going back to the strategies, I think that it's worth mentioning because i remember i mean you know back in the day like if i hurt my ankle whatever i remember going to the gym on crutches because i had this really severe grade three ankle sprain and training upper body and stuff but people in the gym would be looking at me like what is wrong with you you know or even my own family my parents were like you know you shouldn't go to the gym and i'd say i'm not putting pressure on this like i'm doing it and it, that concept was just so foreign to them right so um, obviously, both of us uh, took motor learning in undergrad, and, and we learned about the concept of how the opposite extremity training get, can help you bounce back from rehab. Talk a little bit about that. Let's say you get an athlete 
who comes in with just a really bad ankle sprain, let's make it a fracture, right? Uh, post-operative sees you. Um, how would you modify the rehab process and still giving them the maximal benefit so you don't, you know, they don't have much of a decline in performance? Yeah, you got it. Um, so let's say that they're um, a specific athlete. Let's say it's like a like a field sport, like soccer or something along those lines. Um, I kind of want their physical therapy to mirror what their training is supposed to be as much as possible, right? So if this is an off season and they're kind of focusing on strength conditioning, right, getting stronger, and they're also working on maybe building like an aerobic base or something along those lines, I want to see if I can get their program as close as possible to that, you know? We can't load that leg, right? Or at least we can't stand on it, but we can train all the musculature around it. We probably can do things like knee extensions, hamstring curls, right? A lot of hip strengthening, and we can train the other side leg for sure. We can train the upper body. And if we're allowed to do any sort of, um, let's say, bike work, if the physician okays it, think it's the fracture is not necessarily going to be affected by doing some sort of cardiovascular work, I want them to do as much as humanly possible. Because what's going to happen is that they're going to be deconditioned when they take the boot off. And now they're more likely to get hurt. And they're already way far behind because they were going to use that entire off season to get stronger, better condition, all that stuff. So I think first and foremost, when that person sits down, we're asking questions about their goals. You know, are you trying to go to college for soccer? You know, uh, which year is most important for you? Um, can we back off of this sport potentially? Um, let's see if we can do this as opposed to that. And then the rehab kind of goes backwards and trying to, plan for that next upcoming competition or whatever it is that's important to them, you know? And then we do as much as humanly possible to try to prepare them for that while respecting the healing tissue, you know? For sure. Talking, talking about the healing tissue, um, how much of it is done, you know, in the gym with the program and how much of it is actually what they do outside, right? Whether it's sleep, the food they eat, all those types of things. What are some of the tips that you tell your clients in terms of augmenting the healing process? Yeah, for sure. That's another good question, you know. Um, well, in terms of trying to recover well, um, if I think that an athlete is not recovering well because maybe they're not sleeping, uh, maybe they're not eating enough, then I'll give them direct tips. You know, how many hours per night are you sleeping? If they're telling me I get like six to seven, I say, let's try to make sure you're getting more, you know. Uh, another thing that does happen, a lot of times with things like fracture, uh, people will not be able to exercise. And because of that, they kind of stop eating because they don't want to get fat, you know? So I, people are not great in terms of nutrition and I'm not the best. So oftentimes I'm referring people out, but just making sure that they're getting enough nutrition. They're not body weight, drop, 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 drop. Of course, a lot of that is going to go away because you're not training, but the other piece is that you might not be eating enough to sustain some of the muscle mass, um, in your body, right? Just counseling people on that. Uh, stress is another huge one. Um, oftentimes you get an idea of whether or not stress is a big player in someone's injury. Sometimes you don't, you know, I could be better about asking more questions about that. Um, but just giving people some ideas on how they can limit some of the stress in their life. Um, I find that that is one of the hardest things, um, to counsel people to try to improve upon, you know, like a lot of the, the things that stress people most are very deep seated and a very big behavioral issue, um, that I don't often have the expertise to try to tackle. So again, we have people in our network that are a little bit better with that, you know? I know a bunch of nutritionists. I work with um, Power Monkey Fitness, and uh, they have a really good company, MP2 Nutrition, um, and they cover a ton of that stuff. You know, they have good questionnaires. They try to figure out where those limitations are, and they try to have you know objective goals that they're reaching. To try to make sure they optimize all those parameters of health that are kind of outside of the just movement. You know what I mean? So, 
What I will say is that in areas of my practice where I feel like I'm not the best person for someone, I am okay with referring out for that, you know? And that's one of those areas where I think I can give a few tips, but I'm, I'm not going to be the go-to guy for that. And if I think it's a big issue, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to that person by not referring them out, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I love it. It's, it's, it's gotta be a holistic approach. And I love that you refer out, you know, when need be, um, you know, I, I've recently just heard the episode on the Mike, Mike Reynolds show about, uh, your guys' take on massage guns, you know, and now we're seeing this huge boom with hyper, uh, with hyper ice and their gun. Um, there's yeah. probably some other companies out there. Can you tell me your thoughts on massage guns? Are you, are you pro or are you con? Um, I've, I've heard both sides of the story, but I, w- I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, I'd say I'm mostly pro. I'm, I'm definitely not against it. Uh, I kind of see it as like supplements, you know, um, people always get excited. They're like, what's the best supplement for me? And it's kind of like, well, what's your training program? Are you sleeping appropriately? Like, are you managing stress? Okay. You know, there's so many variables. They're probably more important than something like a massage gun, you know, um, that I want to make sure we optimize that as much as possible. But the other thing is that people love those massage guns. And we know it's probably pretty good for short-term release, relief um, of pain. It's pretty good in terms of reducing soreness, which can be really helpful. And people just absolutely love using them. So I'm okay with that. I, I'm not okay with people saying like, oh, this massage gun is going to fix your pain. I don't always like the marketing that these companies use. I feel like that's misleading. Like you already said, when they're, when someone has pain, they're already afraid to move. We're going to tell them now that you got to you know, jam a massage gun in there. Like, yeah, Maybe that'll help you, but you have to start moving, right? Yeah. Um, not necessarily a massage gun is the answer. So I'm definitely not against it. We have a whole bunch of vibrating tools at Champion that we use, and people certainly enjoy them. Um, but we're also in a situation we can optimize all those other parameters. You know, we have a strength conditioning staff. We have people that do nutrition. We have, you know, massage. We have, you know, movement specialists. We can optimize all those things and then say, okay, try this out. I think it's going to help with your recovery. It seems to really help you out. I think it's going to give you a bunch of pain relief give it a go. Um, and it really helps a lot of folks with that. So I love that, Dan. I mean, it's just another tool in the tool belt, right? That's kind of what we're talking about. Um, and yeah, I don't know why it gets to be like, like everything is also polarizing. Um, but you know, hopefully people can, can listen to this and you guys have talked about it more than once on, on your show. So we'll definitely, uh, link that in here. Then we know that you got a patient coming up and you're squeezing it uh, us in. So we're certainly appreciative of that. So before we let you go, um, I do want to hear a quick story though. Cause I, I remember reading on your site, uh, I guess back in your meathead days, uh, well, technically you're, you're probably still a meathead at heart. Um, you know, when you're doing your strong man stuff, something about, uh, you know, tuna and canned salmon milkshakes. Uh, I, I gotta know what that is. Tell me. I Tell highly me. recommend this strategy, um, to be the best meathead you can be. Yeah. You know? Um, I don't even know where I got this recipe from, to be honest with you, but I was the type of guy that got so excited by learning about some new fitness program or some nutritional program. I remember like reading an article on Swedish meatballs, right? And thinking like, oh my God, they're so anabolic and I can't sleep at nighttime. So I'm thinking about freaking meatballs. Like I'm just so, I don't know, into fitness and like nutrition, human performance, you know? Um, So I, I read an article about tuna shakes, you know, and salmon's obviously good for you. And, uh, there's so many benefits. So I'm like, I'll just give it a shot, you know? Um, so I think I was, I was using a variety of fish and I gotta tell you, you shouldn't blend up fish, you know, first and foremost, I should have known, you know, but yeah, you can put like a can of tuna inside a blender, throw some tomato, I don't know, juice of some sort, maybe some V8, um, a little hot sauce. If you like maybe a celery stalk, Hit that blend button, maybe put some olive oil in there if you're trying to gain weight, <laughs> and plug that bad boy down, you know? Wow. Um, um, 
that I, I might I might have just thrown up in my mouth right there. But <laughs> what, were you in high school when when, when um, was this? Uh, a lot of this was done in high school, yeah. But I was yeah pretty stupid in terms of trying whatever um, I read about through college, and then maybe a couple years afterward yeah. too. I can't uh, lie though, man. Uh, th- that story kind of hits home with me. So I'll, I'll just so I know we got to bounce here, but um, my second year of medical school, uh, I was training for this like big bike trip and, and trying to lean out as much as possible. And so I was very much counting my macros, counting my calories. And I think it was towards the end of the day. I remember studying with one of my um, buddies and we just took a quick break to go eat. And for dinner, you know, counting my calories and my fitness pal, I only had like 45, 50 calories allotted left for the day. And I had to kind of still hit another 20 grams of protein. So I had unflavored branched amino acids and then I was like, well, what? I don't have spinach left in here. And I looked in the fridge and I had red cabbage. So I blended red cabbage with branching amino acids, unflavored. If you ever had that, they were extremely bitter. And I took that thing down and it was one of the most disgusting things. So much so that like I, I was almost throwing up. And as I walked up back up there, my friend just looked at me like, what did you have? And it smells horrible. And I was just like, dude, I explained it to him. And he was like, why? And I was like, man, I, I had to get 20 grams of protein and this, this is the only way I could do it. So it might be the Jersey thing in us. Um, Y'all are wild. Yeah. Come to, you come to Philly. We don't do any of that. So <laughs> <laughs> we don't make the best decisions when it comes to, uh, you know, gaining uh, muscle and, and, and uh, being a meathead, if you will. Uh, yeah. And it, it's a, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we just kind of scratched the sur- surface and uh, everything we can learn from you. Hopefully, uh, I know you're a busy guy that we can kind of have you back. But before we let you go, where can people find you on social media, your website? Uh, we talked about fitness pain free. Is that the handle for pretty much everything? That's a handle for pretty much anything. Um, I've been blogging. Uh, I always say like I blog furiously in my underwear because usually I you know, don't get dressed to, to blog. But probably about the t- past 10 years. Um, I've got a ton of information on my website. I know people don't love websites so much anymore, but there's a ridiculous amount of information there. Um, I post very actively on Instagram. Um, also, the same stuff goes over to Facebook. I'm terrible at Twitter. Don't follow me there. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Instagram and or um, my website. And I'm also have done some podcasts in the in the past. I'm planning on kind of releasing a new one in the future. So I'll be on YouTube, Spotify, all that stuff under Fitness Pain Free. So it's kind of the thing. Awesome. So we'll link to all that. Uh, again, Dan, thank you so much, man. Uh, it was uh, fun talking to you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you guys. It was fun. Appreciate it. Man, what an awesome show with Dan. Before we sign off, remember that this podcast was brought to you by Contract Diagnostics. This is a company that specializes in contract reviews. Specialization is something we can all appreciate here. So again, when you or your family have contract needs, give them a call. Find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash contract diagnostics or call 888-574-5526. Now for that important disclaimer. Remember that everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nor should it be construed as medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed, and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. But if you enjoy the show, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share with anyone you think will gain value from this as well. And until next time, thank you for listening.